somewhere in the Houston Midtown area. It's the sit down with Slick Vic. Welcome everyone, it's the sit down with Slick Vic. I got a guest today. I believe he's all the way in Chi Town. Correct me if I'm wrong. But, I'm actually uh, I'm in Los Angeles right now. Oh, okay. Are you are you visiting LA or did you move out there? I know you were in Chicago. I'm, yeah, I'm moving over here. So oh, okay. you're catching me at like a transitional time in my career and life. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes sense because, ladies and gentlemen, he is an actor, comedian. Uh, Hui Win. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Victor. This is going to be fun. Perfect, perfect. Well, for uh, those of us who are not too, I mean, I know a little bit about you, but not uh, as much as I would like. So um, tell us a little bit about you know, kind of your background, you know, where you grew up. Um, born, born and raised in the uh, Pacific Northwest in okay. Seattle. Seattle. Uh, to a couple of refugee immigrant parents. Um, a lot of us out there from Vietnam. And I spent um, my formative years out there. Then I moved around the country uh, pursuing higher education. So I lived in Seattle, Boise, lived in Houston for a little while where Victor is, uh, Chicago for the past 11 years. And now I'm starting to move to uh, Los Angeles, as I mentioned. Um, primarily now I'm an actor, uh, but I've done a lot of sketch and improv comedy in the last 10 years in the Chicago area where it's like... It's the mecca of that type of comedy, and so it would have been a huge miss for me if I, I did not expose myself to it, you know what I mean? So it was a really good time in my life. So before we get to that, um, what were some of the things you were interested uh, in when you were growing up? Uh, you know, growing up, I, you know, I spent so much time outside playing. Uh, growing up in that area of the country, it's got to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because it's it's beautiful outside. People really love and respect nature out there. You hear about Seattle and people say, oh, it's rainy and wet and cold all the time. But that's only a few months out of the year. And the rest of the time, it's beautiful. And even when it is a little bit wet, I love it, man. I, I miss it every day. Um, but growing up, we, we used to spend a lot of time camping, hiking in the mountains, uh, fishing. I'm not a huge fishermen but uh members of my family are and they really love doing it and uh you know just doing that type of thing communing with nature so so more of an outdoorsman yeah yeah and uh now it's it's not so much but now that i'm back on the west coast i think i'll be able to explore a little bit more uh chicago is kind of like an urban jungle man it's like i went there for for school for grad school and for about four years there, my my area of exposure was five square blocks between our condo and the school. And it was like either the, the school, the library, or sleeping at home. Those were my, my places for about three years. I got two uh, master's degrees in Chicago. So Okay. Um, so you... Was acting something that you always wanted to do when you were younger, or yeah, was it something? Yeah, you know, I, I was first exposed to it in high school. Um, I did some theater stuff there, and then in college, I also studied drama at the University of Washington along with, with business. So I was like two tracks, but when it came time to decide what I would do with my life, I chose business because, 
you know, I'm the oldest son of two, like I mentioned before, refugee immigrant parents. And it was like way out of <laughs> my imagination to even think about pursuing acting as a career, you know? So right. I went the, the uh, more serious route. And so I did, I finished in, in uh, marketing and then I, I worked in marketing for about eight years. And then that's when I went and moved to Chicago. And uh, instead of going right to acting, I thought for some reason it'd be a good idea to just get two more business degrees. So that's what I did. I got oh, okay. an MBA and a, a master's of finance. But somewhere along that journey, I rediscovered that love for for performing and the stage and acting and and all of that. And and about five years ago, I just quit my corporate job and went all in on acting full time. And it's been a, an incredible journey ever since then. Now, let, let me ask you this. How much of your parents' influence was the initial uh, wariness of, of pursuing acting? Or was that just, just you deciding? I, you know what? That's a good question because my parents have always been so supportive of me and my choices. Um, I feel like my decision to, to pursue business instead of acting that at that part of my life was mostly me. It wasn't my parents telling me you have to do this or you have to do right. that. It was just this this sense of responsibility I felt within myself. You know, I have mm. I have three younger brothers at that time, and I wanted to to be able to to be the the brother who who did something and, right. and was able to pull the family out of you know we were we weren't exactly middle class back then, so it was it was like up to me. I had right. decided, and it wasn't so, it wasn't anyone who pushed me to it. That's that's funny. Yeah. So you had no pressure, but it still was something that came because of like, the decision had was still based on your family, right? Because you wanted to to provide for them. Exactly, and that's how it was uh, in school growing up too. In high school and middle school, all the way through elementary school, I had this mentality of of being the best academically. You know, I, we didn't um, have money for sports or any very many extracurricular activities. So I spent a lot of my time reading and, and being studious, doing homework and, and just being as good as possible as, as I could be in that realm. Mm, okay, interesting. Um, so we make the decision we're, we're going to do we're going to do business what, while you were pursuing that you mentioned uh, you did you got involved um, at, at, in college with 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 the fine arts um, then you went to Chicago with, to get your 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 graduate studies right is it Loyola Loyola is that where you went Loyola that's right Loyola Chicago um, and uh, actually, why they, you they just, they've been in the news no. recently they were in uh, the Sweet Sixteen I think. Yeah, they made they made a nice little run. Yeah, in the men's tournament. So were they were they big into? I mean, because they I remember them a couple of years ago made a big run as well. But when you were when you were going with their uh, their program was that pretty good? Their their sports program. The the one pro, um, sport that I remember them excelling at was men's volleyball. Oh okay. At some point they they became national champions. Oh wow! Yeah, around 2015, I think, or something like that. Someone would have to check Google to to fact check me, but I, I believe. Um, and they don't have a football team. They're not a big school. It's a small Jesuit school. So mm, the, the okay. sports that they they do have are 
precious. So you mentioned you're, you're, you weren't moving around this, exploring the city too much, I guess, because you're saying you most of your time was spent between your condo and school, exactly. right? The yeah, library. I was so serious. I was spending at least eight hours a day in the library because the stuff I was studying was pretty intense. Um, so it was like high finance and things like that. It's, I don't even talk about it anymore because it's so far removed from my life now. But that, that's what I did. And it fed my mind in a very amazing way. I just felt like... I was curious about it every day and and in my life now I find that same curiosity in the arts so it's pretty interesting trend oh, yeah and I, I can only imagine man uh, I mean that that's a whole different ball game though you know the finance and the logistics of, of, of companies and, and how they spend their money and looking at trends and all that you know yeah but it all boils down to to attention to detail but at the same time, keeping in mind, like the bigger picture, same thing goes with um, the entertainment industry. Um, as an actor, you, you there's very small things that you can focus in on. But yes, you also have to realize what your part in the bigger production is, even on a short film or or, or stage show. It's kind of like your A piece in the whole thing. And if you know how the entire machine works, um, that makes what you do in your in your role much more important. Now, when you were at Loyola, was there any participation in in yeah, theater? Actually, yeah, so I made some money on the side acting, um, just because it it was easy for me to audition and get roles. Uh, knock on wood, um, and. Uh, so I made some money doing that and the schedule is it's so free. I mean, you book something and if you have time, you can do it. And if you don't have time, you don't do it. It's not like a, a normal nine to five or even a, right. um, a serving job at a restaurant somewhere where you're kind of locked into the schedule. It's kind of ad hoc how those projects go. And I, I was really um, attracted to that. So when I was, yeah, in Chicago, uh, I did some short films. I worked on um, some TV shows um, and and a feature film. So back then. Okay. So so even though you were focused on the the, the business degree, you, you, you just, you still had to scratch that itch, right? It, 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 yeah. It's funny. I mean, you still have to do it. Um, I never thought I would, when I was in school, I never thought I would make that, transition to full-time. I always um, was in the realm of something I did with my free time or as a hobby or as something to help me appreciate the arts rather than, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm choosing to do this. This is me as my career. I'm going. And so, but when I made that switch to allow myself to be like, yeah, you can, you don't have, it doesn't have to be a hobby. It doesn't have to be just for fun. Then, then things kind of switched for me. Pretty amazing. So I'm assuming when you're landing these roles, right? You're doing TV shows. You're doing feature films. I mean, that kind of just kind of solidifies things for you, right? You're kind of going, whoa, like, because I'm assuming that if, if, if you're not landing them, right? If, if they're, you're not really having this success with it, you might it might deter you from even thinking about it as much, right? I if, mean, I if, still have doubts every single day, 
even when you do work, there's no guarantee that you'll ever work again, one. And sometimes you go eight, nine, 10, 18 months without working at all, you know, in, in the commercial sense. You can always work on uh, doing some other things, um, honing your crafting classes, doing stage stuff for not a lot of pay, but for the things that, that you can make a living off of, it can be a very long time in between gigs. So that's why um, I was lucky to, to be able to have um, worked in corporate for a little while and saved up that money. And that's the thing. I, I'm pretty fortunate in that sense and that I'm able to not have to balance both things because I did all that extra work on the, on the front end in finance. Right. So um, it doesn't work out that way for for probably 90% of the people out there who are, who are trying to make a life in the arts. But um, if you love it and you know, that's who you are, you, you make either you make sacrifices or you make adjustments in your life to be, to allow yourself to be able to do it. Cause I mean, once you're an actor, man, there's, there's no going back. There's no going back. Yeah, that's, that's, you're right. You're, you're more of a rare case. Um, most people you talk to, you know, they go all in early. You yeah, know, they, they go exactly, and that was I think for me that that's what's kept me in it, um, especially during this time of the pandemic. Um, a lot of my friends who who are in and around the arts, um, they've had to pivot into something else because, especially in Chicago, all the stages are dark. Um, a lot of the productions have shut down. There's not a lot of money to be made doing entertainment right now. Um, so, but you still got to eat. You still got to pay the rent. And so, I'm seeing my friends um, work part-time gigs, or you know, drive Uber or whatever it is, just to survive right now. So, so I'm, go ahead. I'm sure that um, once things pick back up, those same folks will be able to go back to doing what they loved. You know, they'll be back on the stages. They'll be back to um, creating short films and, and writing and. The one thing I'm seeing, though, is a lot of those people, they're finding new outlets for their creativity. So um, social media has become huge in the last, I mean, it's been huge for the last few years, but uh, TikTok in particular, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of my comedian friends just blow up there. I mean, they still have that, that same comedic voice, mm -hmm. but their audiences are just so much bigger now. And so, right. they're, yeah, they're finding that, the same bits that they were able to do on stages in Chicago are playing for millions of people all around the world. And that's really exciting to me. I mean, that's not something I myself do as an artist because that's not the type of thing I do. But to see my friends do it, they're crushing it. And I'm so happy that they're showing their talents to the world and the world is noticing it. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, humans are... Uh incredible incredible things you know they can they can adapt i mean that's what that's why we're still here and that's why you know we run the world of all the all the beings is because we adapt and the pandemic has really showed you know who can and who can't you know you got some people who just sit at home all day you know eating hot cheetos drinking and 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 t you know using unemployment and really not bettering themselves you know just kind of and I don't blame them. And in this time period, just staying alive is a, an accomplishment. You know, it's like, just stay alive. Once this thing is over, 
then you can worry about bettering yourself. But right now, man, I, cause I've had, um, one friend who was in the comedy scene and, mm-hmm. uh, he, he took his own life a couple of months ago. Oh, wow. And so that's the other, the other side of it too. It's like, yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for, for, for pivoting and, and making, making your art known to a lot of people. But another thing is just keep your, your passion for life going, you know, just do whatever it takes, take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your friends. Um, just um, stay alive, man, because this is hard for a lot of people, a lot of people. There are, you know, so many resources out there that are available to people in this. I wish, uh, I wish he would have reached out to one of them, you know, and, no, I, 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 I completely agree with you in that in that aspect, and I think we're kind of saying the same thing. Like when 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 I say, you know, bettering yourself, that's what I'm referring to, right? We have the resources. Um, just like me, for example, you know, I was in the service industry. That's dead right now. Lost my job. So, you know, um, right before the pandemic started, I found out that my girlfriend was pregnant. So. I mean, I can't just sit around and 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 wait till this thing is over, right? I got a baby on the way, you know. I got her living with me, so I got two mouths to feed. So I, I didn't think it was, that was an option. So I went and got a a, a certification online, and, and 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 just shifted, you know. Now I work in IT, you know, and I think that's what I'm more referring to, like. You know, don't get me wrong. I did my fair share of drinking. You know, let's not let's not, let's not get it twisted. But I also, you know, I also realize that you know you you can take advantage of what what you got. I you know started working out a little bit more inside the house because I had the time. So I just I just figured let's use our time, let's use our resources to better ourselves. You know. Um. So you 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 you. You, you're at Loyola. You're doing some some side gigs, you're, but your main concentration is in in business. You you f- you finish, get your degree. I'm assuming. Uh, don't know too much about Loyola, but I I I do believe they're a pretty uh, pretty exceptional school when it comes to business, right? Yeah, yeah, they're pretty well ranked. Uh, mm-hmm. Program was good. Uh, some of the you know some of the best minds in the world. Uh, I was exposed to there. It's it pretty amazing. It's, it seems like such a long time ago now, but when I was in it, yeah, it was incredible. And then so you, when I graduated, I worked in in um, finance and in corporate for a couple of years before mm-hmm. the pivot to to entertainment and acting. So, so once you started working, I'm assuming you 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 got a nice nice position because of where you came from. You people people wanted you. You started working while you were working. Were you still dabbling? Yeah, with, while, with... while I was working. So that's when I I had a little bit more time because I wasn't spending eight twelve mm-hmm. hours a day in the library. I was working you know seven hours a day maybe not even you know it's kind of a cush job. So I found myself with more time than I knew what to do with. So that's when I started exploring Chicago a little bit more. And the, the theater scene in Chicago is world-class. Um, they've got... Second City. Um, so, Second, Second City, city yeah, so, right? Yeah, the mecca of, of um, sketch comedy right there, sketch and improv. They also had the IO. Um, a lot of um, famous comedians came out of that. They've got the Annoyance Theater. And that's just the comedy side. As far as the, the straight theater side, 
you know, there's hundreds of smaller theater companies out there ranging, you know, anywhere from 20 seat theaters all the way up to 300 seat theaters um, for stage stuff. So any single night of the week, you could go out and see a show and it wouldn't cost a lot of money either. So, so with that, that extra time in, in my evenings and on weekends, I used that to kind of explore that community a little bit. I took classes in acting and comedy and I, f I started picking up gigs, uh, working production on the, on the other side of the camera where we're working, um, making films and, and things like that too. So there's a, Chicago was rife to learn about entertainment at that time. Um, there's, there's a difference between being on stage in front of a live audience and being on the set, right. With a director and people, what, what, what do you prefer and why? I, I mean, there, there's, it's like asking to choose between two of your kids. I mean, you love, <laughs> oh, yeah? you love them both, but for different reasons. Um, on stage, you get this, the audience is right there with you. You have this sense of immediacy, this intimate connection. Even though you're not even paying attention to them, you, you can feel the energy in the room. Um, and it's just like, you kind of, the, the rest of the world goes away. And you're in that moment with your scene partner or, or with the setting or the stage or or sometimes you engage directly with the audience, but nothing outside of that theater matters then. And that's such a lovely experience. And I think that's why so many people go to see live theater still. Um, just because it's it's an escape. It's uh, a thing that makes you uh, makes your brain go, changes the way you think, gives you a point of view from... Uh, from what you know already in yourself, it gives you a, a different point of view from someone maybe who lived a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, or you know in this country or that country. It's, it's such a beautiful thing. Um, that's stage. But then when you work on on sets well, around the cameras, it's like you love that too because of the timing, the teamwork. It takes so much collaboration to make a thing like that work. You know, what I mean, you've got so many departments. Um, and people who, who love what they do, you know, love that everyone is there on set getting to do the thing that they love to do. And that's amazing. That's pretty amazing. And sometimes you get paid for it. Sometimes you don't. But uh, I love them both. I love them both. It, for me, as an actor, though, I think um, acting on stage makes me feel uh, more connected with, with life than anything else, I think. Mm -hmm. Because you kind of have to let your guard down. You don't have to worry about a lot of the technical aspects. And it's like, once you once the curtain goes up, it, nothing stops until the curtain goes down. Whereas in the film side, it's like, it's very um, calculated. It's like clockwork. Sometimes, there's a little bit of leeway in, in, in what you do, but... Um, it's stop and go all the time. It's like cameras, what camera setup one, camera setup two, you know, it's, it's a little bit different animal, but, um, when you get to experience either one of them, I'm sure you would fall in love with it. You mentioned, um, you doing classes, you know, acting classes. Um, I'm assuming there's just different, 
I guess it's different for for individuals when it comes to that, right? Some people they don't really do that. They they I don't know what the natural approach or a different approach is. Um, is is from your experience, like people you've worked with, which one is is mostly the the path people take? Is is in general do people usually take the classes or? In this in this world, there's no one path to get to, you know, quote unquote success. Mm-hmm. There's a million different actors out there. There's a million different paths to get to where they are. Um, it's not like the linear um, education system in America, where it's you, know, you go through kindergarten through twelve, then you go to college, then you go to grad school, and then you go out in the world and you do thing. There's so many different paths to to becoming an entertainer. In this world, I've, I know people who did dinner theater. I know people who who never took an acting class in their entire life, who are just good at knowing what it took um, to connect with audiences. Um, there are people who are who are creating content on their phones, who are actors, who are entertainers, but you know their paths are so different, and that's that's what we're discovering now. It's become commodified who can create content. Back in the film days camera film camera days it's like it's the studio decision who goes in front of the in front of the camera you know yeah these are our actors these are our contracted actors they're going to make so and so many films a year for us and that's it these days people can make a thing a film a whole feature-length film with a thing that they have in their pocket which is incredible and and it's been becoming more and more like that ever since they started with digital cameras because mm-hmm. um, one of the things that was a barrier to entry for a lot of folks was the cost of making a film back then you know thousands of dollars to to even get the film stock to be able to record on and then have the expertise to to edit and all that stuff these days because everything is digital you can afford to make mistakes you can afford to experiment thousand times before you make the thing you know what i mean mm. whereas back then you couldn't you can't have 40 takes to get it right you know now you can you can do 80 takes pick one or two that work and that goes in the in the project and so there was um it was much more leveraged back then as far as what you could be able to do so no you're absolutely right um you know, I've I've started to dabble with it, and it's just amazing what you can do. You know, I just I, I I've all you know I've ever since I was young I was I've always wanted to to act, direct, write, um, and finally being able to do that. You know, in a couple of short films that I've done, um, I was just fortunate that the like you said the team that is involved. So what I what 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 did I do? I just surrounded myself with talented people, <laughs> you know. So so uh, I remember we did this short film and and you know I was directing it, but it wasn't my equipment. Like these guys, you know, with the 4K cameras and the boom mics and uh, knowing about lighting, and I was like, okay, I want it to kind of look like this. I want this shot. I want, and then I see it and I'm like, wow wow, like this is as good as going to the movie theater, man. Like this is crazy. And like and like you said, now that it's affordable, now that it's doable, I mean, it's like screw Hollywood. <laughs> I'm not just making it in my, you know, and, and, and you're seeing that, right? You're seeing and, and you, 
you add the fact that we have so many platforms now. You have you have Apple, you have Amazon, you have Netflix, and they need content. And that's not even including all the cable channels that still exist, all the local ABCs and CBSs. It's it's crazy. Like what what they you know the now it's 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 no longer about the studio, right? It's like just they you don't need the studio. The studio needs you. They need exactly. the content. Yeah. And like Amazon, Amazon uh, Studios, they got a thing where they allow you to host your content on Amazon Video Prime, Amazon Prime Video. Um, I don't know exactly how that works out, but I've had friends who put up, you know, their their feature-length films or their short films or even their stand-up comedy on Amazon Prime. But that's that's still even connected with the, the studio world. You could even do it because of the internet, host it on your own website. Exactly. You know, put it, you know or or YouTube or Vimeo. You can host it virtually anywhere now. Um, and there's so many... Um, digital film festivals now that you could submit to. The hardest part is always just getting the script. Well, once oh, you have dude, that, that's you. <laughs> that you is the that, hardest part, man. Once you have that, you have a motivated producer and director. Um, things will get going because there are crew people out there. There are um, lighting, sound folks, actors who will just say yes. You know. What mm -hmm. I mean? Um, so it's up to the producers to find a good producible script that they can execute and the director to get the, the right people around it because the talent is out there, man. The talent is like the guy who's working at Subway or McDonald's. That guy went to film school or he, that guy spends three hours a night watching YouTube videos about how to color video or edit. Or, you know, you got people who are independently mixing their own soundtracks all the time it's so easy the hardest part is finding a good script once you get that it's it's easy i mean you know i'm i'm paraphrasing but when you get the script and then the logistics of getting people together but once that's done you, you just need a few motivated people to get the project done after that yeah, I completely agree with you, man. That even though the women who made uh, the show Broad City, it never started out on the Comedy Central. It, it was a thing that they did on their own. I think they hosted on on YouTube or even on their own website. Um, once you create that content, though, studios will find you, and they will buy your stuff, and they'll get you know they finance the next two or three seasons, and then your career's off and going. So. Yeah, that's the go, man. Um, I, I gotta, I gotta quit, quit bullshitting. I got a couple, couple of projects that I've been working on for going on four years, and every time, every time I think I know what I want and I work on it, then I come to a point where I'm like, oh no, like that's not gonna work, or this would be better. So then I do a rewrite, and then another rewrite. So my I, only suggestion is to go smaller, go smaller even. I mean, people were making seven-second vines that told a story, beginning, middle, and end, and they had payoff. So there was a setup and a comedic payoff, or whatever it was, a dramatic payoff. But they, if they could do that in seven seconds, imagine what you could do with a minute or a page right. of a script. So um, if, if you're getting kind of caught up in some how big a, a project could be, make a smaller one. And then make a slightly bigger one. And then by the time you're, you, you'll feel so comfortable that you can't, there's nothing that can stop you from making that thing. 
that no, you're right. You're right. Probably like, been working on for four years. Yeah. Yeah. That that's that's actually like a TV show, right? That's going to consist of like, you know, I don't, a season, obviously. But I think the most I've written is like three episodes. But you know, you're right. I'm doing a short film this summer. That's pretty much conceptually done. I just got to put it on, put you know, write the script. But I pretty much have it in my head of what I want to do. But no, you're right. I mean, start smaller, get comfortable, get that done, and then it'll help you out with the longer projects. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by The Ranch Houston. Compromised of Ashe Yoga and Wellness, The Garden Project, and The Mill HTX is an intentional, conscious organization created for adults to connect to an inclusive community through art, food, nature exploration, and movement, and for school-age children to empower themselves through education on sustainability and edible gardening. Everyone is encouraged to connect to the curiosity of their inner child as they nurture their nature in a world that so often encourages separation and fear. Minority and veteran-owned, the Ranch Houston is located south of the medical center, and you could visit their website at www.theranchhouston.com. I highly recommend it. I've been there. It's awesome. Check it out. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Apparel Up, the leading custom apparel provider in Houston, Texas. They help their customers represent their brand correctly with high quality, long lasting custom apparel. Whether you're in need of embroidered scrubs for your medical practice, embroidered polos for your nationwide enterprise, or screen printed shirts for your sport team. They got you covered. They also do the apparel for my show, so definitely buy some of that stuff too. And you can find their website at apparelup.us. Check them out. Um, so we finished Loyola. We're, we're working. We're in the business world, uh, corporate world, still doing this, the, the acting on the side. What happened when you just said, you know what? I'm I'm done. Like, did, was there some type of breakthrough, or you, or did that well, no, itch? It was kind get... of like, it's it was. Uh, I lost uh, my youngest brother mm-hmm. to uh, to suicide in in the fall of 2014, um, and I was uh, crushed. You know, just like everyone yeah. in my family, but uh, my my brother Andy, he and I were so close. And um, I'd mentioned that I was so focused on school for those three or four years before that. It's just um, I lost touch touch with him. And oh, okay. uh, when he died, I, I just went into a downward spiral for, for about six months. And I remember like at towards the end of that six months, I remember him visiting me in Chicago and one thing that we did together, we went to see a show at Second City. And I, I just remember it and and l- remember it being in the audience, laughing and looking over at him, seeing him laugh and just enjoying ourselves, having the time of our, our lives. And at the end of that show, one of the actors said, hey, thank you for coming to Second City. Um, we also have classes. And so, you know, at that point in my in my grief and mourning, I remembered that and I decided, you know, I can't, I can't just cry on the sofa anymore. I got to um, reconnect with the world, reconnect with people. And so I took a class at Second City and it just kind of started pulling me out of my shell 
a little bit, got me out of the house. I started meeting really kind, talented, passionate people. And the more I did it, the more I was reminded about Andy. He was such a very kind, passionate person, you know, and he, um, it just, the more I did that, the more I, I felt connected with him, even though he was gone. And so, um, and that's what led to it. That's when I decided, you know what, the only time I was ever really happy in my life was when I was on stage. And this is, and that was, you know, almost 15 years prior to that in college. And so it'd been a long time. And uh, between that feeling that I had for myself and then the feeling of connectedness with my brother, I'm like, I, I got to quit my my day job and just do this. Because the other thing that I, I feel about the industry has always been there was never anyone who looked like me on the stages. You know, there weren't very many Asian or Asian American people on film or on stage for me to look up to, especially when I was growing up. And so I'm like, maybe that could be, that's, that's my calling. Maybe that's what my mission is. I I know I already love it. Um, I don't need to, to work the nine to five really to, to afford the lifestyle I want, which is pretty basic. You know, I, I don't buy a lot of things. I don't take a lot of trips very much anymore. Um, and so I don't need that income, that level of income that I had before. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just let's just do this for a while, see how it goes, see how it feels, and just felt amazing. And so that was, uh, what year is this? That was like six years ago or something like that. So I've been been doing this for six years now. So yeah, man. I mean, I, I mean, I knew, I knew your brother Andy, and uh, you know, he was an awesome guy. I always I always had a smile on his face. Uh, I was very optimistic. I was very curious how you're doing. Like you said, very kind. Um, and like you said, you know, you were so focused on you know school, which obviously no one's going to say you shouldn't prioritize school, right? But at the end of the day, it wasn't really what made you really happy and then and then you see something like this happen to your brother which is you know related to to his happiness or lack thereof and you realize like hey like this is this is something that that I should kind of kind of apply to my life like what let me let me look at my life real quick see what, what what's going on with me and it it kind of gave you that that catapult to say, let me, let me focus on what, what, when was I the happiest? Oh, when I was doing this, well, let me, let me do that. And, and it, it, man, it's a great story how it, it helps you, it helped you with, with how you were doing. And it also helped you kind of think about your brother and, 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 and still, you know, bring you closer even after, you know, after his death. Um, and yeah, and the, that, and that previous lifestyle, it was always about my happiness would be, was always about something that would happen in the future. You right. Know, like, oh, okay, so I'll just buy a Porsche or I'll get a this swanky house on the hillside or something. That's what's going to make me happy. Whereas now, I try to focus on the happiness in the moment, mm. which really that's a that's the kind of the biggest shift in thinking I can imagine for for a lot of people is to not delay things because you don't know how much 
time you have right. in the world, you know what I mean? And so planning and it's helpful, but don't bank your entire sense of self on that, you know? Try to try to see what's right there in front of your nose and maybe that's all you need. Yeah, it's definitely a balance, right? You 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 know, you hear people say and I and I've said it, you know, the more you sacrifice now, the greater the reward later. But to but 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 to what end? Like are you sacrificing so much that that reward is not as rich, right? Or are you missing out on things now? That can that can no longer be you can't obtain those once that time passes that's it. So yeah, well, I think yourself on your deathbed and and thinking back over your life, mm-hmm. you're not gonna think about oh man I wish I worked more overtime hours. Right. I wish I would have landed that account or I wish I would have did this. I wish it's always I wish I spent more time with my family or I wish I would have asked this girl out or or married this girl or gone out with that guy or or done this thing it's always a lot more personal than than those five-year plans are you know what i mean no, when you look no, back no. when you're on your deathbed and you look back you probably yeah, throw agree. away throw away that five-year plan book and think about some of the things that were right there in front of you yeah i think probably the best approach is maybe to have long-term goals but also to have those short-term goals exactly so it's kind of like what we were talking about before having that overall view of the machine but also the detail of kind of like your role and if you think about your role as being that person living in that moment that's your role so focus on that and then but you know you can be aware of your family or your friends and your extended network and one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, that's always within your consciousness, but you, most of your focus should go towards that moment, you know? I completely agree. So we, we, we get the inspiration at second city, the offering the classes. So you, you, you start doing that. What, what other things were you, were you just doing? You were, so I'm, I'm assuming you were doing the second city. You're still pursuing auditions. Um, what, what kind of things did you have going on right when you decided to go full in on the acting? And so I kept track of all of my performances. Um, what year was it? 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2018. I, every single time I had either an audition to prepare for or a show or a um, or a reading or something like that, something entertainment business related, I wrote it down on a book. And by the end of that year, I had almost 300 incidents. Wow. So that's like almost a thing a day that I was doing. Uh, there were weeks where I was performing five or six nights a week um, for long periods of time. And that's because in Chicago, um, they had a lot of improv theaters. So you could, if you wanted, you could go perform in, in 10 minutes, you hop on the train or the bus, you'll be at a stage, you sign up, Hey, let me, let me do a set. And that's, that's improv and that you could do, but there's also open mics for, for the standup folks. There's storytelling, there's poetry. There's like, you can get out, and have an audience with almost anything. The only thing you needed to worry about was developing your voice as an artist. And so 
And it was some of the audiences were just the most welcoming people. Man, you could go up there with some really experimental stuff. People would love it. And that would encourage the artist who was on stage to go out and create more. And that's the thing about Chicago is like, it's such a nurturing place to, to come up, you know? And then there, it was so much uh, opportunity to, to do it. You know, I guess, um, you know, I, I used to live in Chicago when I was younger, but I, I've, I've been gone for a long time. Um, but, you know, living, you know, looking from the outside, you know, you hear a lot of things about Chicago, especially with, with the murders and the gang violence. Um, I guess it just has to do with like, what part and and what are you doing right i'm i'm assuming you you weren't venturing out into into the hoods you were just going well, to I the mean, occasionally there were shows down down on the south side not as often but there are small theaters especially around the um the university there university of chicago there's some theaters down there but that's a thing that that's a an area of improvement you're right that the that community can could um bolster is to bring more of the arts to that part of the community. And we're seeing um, it happen here and there. And there's programs, even within Second City, there are programs to bring kids in. Or at the Annoyance Theater, they they um, they had a show there where they bust in a bunch of high school kids from, from um, South Chicago to see some of their shows, to expose them to that type of art and comedy and stuff, to show them um, a different a different reality of what's or a different realm of possibility to them. Um, but that was, there was always more to do. There's always more to do in that world. Uh, a lot, huge amounts of the money in Chicago went to the predominantly white institutions, you know, the North side, the well-to-do, the affluent neighborhoods. It went there. Um, but, you know, the arts on the South side is not, non-existent it's just it could be more it could be a lot more actually and they're the ones that have those interesting stories right they're the ones that really have lived some crazy ass things and um it, it's it's a part like that most people aren't aware of don't know what's going on people that have had quote-unquote normal lives um some of the stories that that they got to tell are just very fascinating and and you know, it's one of those things where um, when you, you know, when you're an actor and you're asked to perform uh, a certain scene where you're having to go through some grief or go through, go through something kind of, kind of tough, you know, some of these people have already gone through it, you know, like, you know, when, when you get, you ask somebody to go through this, you're like, well, I've never gone through that. Let me see if I can figure it out. But some of these people, man, they've they've gone through everything. Like whatever you tell them to go through, yeah, they I, I got that. I just got to remember that moment when I was six years old, and and I can I can bring it out. Yeah, that's the, like the emotional memory stuff. But even you know, even if you're an actor, a, a well trained actor who has never experienced that in their lives, because there's a lot of actors out there who are who've lived so what you would say a privileged life. Mm-hmm. Where they never experienced um, gang violence or anything like that, or, or, or losing someone to, um, you know, not having health insurance, or, right. um, it's up to the actor to identify what that is in a human being, and kind of connect it to something that's not that, but something else in their life that they experienced, and kind of transmute it. Because everyone, 
everyone has lived life. They have life experience to draw upon and and even it could be you experience it for the first time, you know? It doesn't have to be a, a, an emotional memory. It could be like, okay, now imagine what it's like to lose your grandmother now, who's perfectly healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, okay, imagine she died today. What would happen to you? And you could just do that and be real. It's all about turning up the the parts that the script calls for in yourself or turning down the other parts. You know what I mean? It's everybody has, I think anybody can play any role as long as it's like culturally appropriate. Um, you just have to be able to, to not limit yourself to be like, Oh, I, I've never, that's never happened to me. I can't do it. It's like, well, that's happened to a, a person before I can, I can imagine that this is how I would live that honestly. And that's the thing. You have to be honest with yourself and, and with the circumstance, you have to be like totally committed to that. Hmm. You gotta, yeah. you gotta drop down a lot of the, um, the barriers, the emotional barriers that you put up for yourself or the experiential barriers. You get, you get rid of that stuff. You can do anything because you're a human being and the script is showing the screen or the stage is showing a human being going through this circumstance. You're a human being. You can do it. So, so you've mentioned, you know, you've done uh, TV shows, feature films. Um, you ever work with any people or you ever been in a situation where you're just like, holy shit, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe I'm, I'm, I'm doing a scene with this person or I can't believe I'm on this show. Like, does that ever get to you? It does, but then you get then then you just realize, oh, they're just another person who's the, who's got, had the opportunity to do this more than you have, um, and it's incredible. I mean, I I might never be able to be on a set ever again. I don't know, but I've had some pretty incredible experiences, and you just have to accept that moment as the reality of the situation and and go because I've worked with people who are really well known i mean they're nominated for stuff they're like super famous actors but like when they're on set it's not like they're acting like oh i'm super famous right they're they're there to do a job they're there to serve the the story um serve the character and you gotta you gotta do that too um you can't be uh intimidated yeah yeah intimidated or starstruck because you're there for a reason too and you, you, that's the thing. You just gotta remember what that reason is. You remember that you your role in that story, like we we're talking about, awareness of the the bigger picture, but also know what you are in that. Uh, and if you focus on that, you know it could be Tom Cruise or Nicole Kidman or Brad Pitt or or Keanu Reeves or whoever across from you, Meryl Streep or you know um, Denzel Washington. Anyone could be there. As long as you focus on your thing and and feed off of them, then you won't be starstruck. You can be starstruck when you're done. When they say cut, and then you can then you can be like, oh my god, that was the greatest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. <laughs> but until that cut, you yeah, gotta be it. you know what I mean. So yeah, no, um, yeah, I can only imagine. You know, I've I've I'm a huge sports guy, and uh, I've I've had you know I've kind of fanned out meeting some some sports people, but. I would imagine that if I had to like play basketball with somebody who was a, a you know NBA player, 
the initial meeting of them would be kind of crazy. But once we started playing, like I would, I would want to show them up, you know, I could say, yeah, I could say, man, I scored on, you know, I scored on LeBron or I, I stole the ball from LeBron. Like, you know, that, that I guess it's, it's how you, how you look at it, how you analyze it. And like you said, you're both there to do the same thing. You have your role to play. And, uh, as long as you're focused on that, then, everything else just kind of goes out the window, right? And I think for a lot of those folks who are just so great at what they do, they've got this immense curiosity about life and about other people that they're they're just as curious of you too. You know what I mean? So imagine them being starstruck by you and you're on the same level all of a sudden. So... Yeah, no, that's, that's another thing. Like, especially when you start getting your work out there, um, you'd be surprised, you know, you meet somebody like, Hey man, like, you know, this famous person, like, Hey man, like, I like your work. And you're just like, what you, you like my work, <laughs> you know, like how, yeah, you can't, uh, really just focus on that and give yourself more credit and know, and know that you're there for a reason. Like you didn't, you didn't just walk in off the street, you know? Yeah. I mean, and, and work on your, on work on your craft whenever you have the opportunity to do so. And then, but don't judge yourself or don't beat yourself up about not being able to do it or don't judge a, a, a performance that you had. You know, I kind of, that's the other thing too. I mean, I, you have to learn in this industry, you have to be able to move on to the next thing pretty quick. You can't dwell on um, a bad performance or a bad audition. You kind of have to shake that up pretty quick and move on and move on. It's always about moving forward. And sometimes it's not exactly straight. Sometimes it's in a circle, but you're always just moving. You know, you can't, once you stop, once you stop, that's it. Now, you mentioned uh, stand-up. Did you get into that later on or did you, was that something you were always doing? I, you know, I, I, I love stand-up as an art and I love people who do it, but I'm not a stand-up comedian. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I've done it for a couple of times and it was fun, but the amount of work and, you know, I just mentioned not be, not judging yourself. I, I judge myself more in that than anything else because, one, it's written. You're the one who wrote it. You're right. the one who's performing it. So, the, so if it flies or bombs, it's all on you. Um, and I just couldn't do that, especially with the schedule I was running back then. Um, you have to dedicate so much of your time to to writing uh, good jokes that only you could tell. And that was hard. You know, that was hard for me. Uh, for other people, they do it like breathing air or drinking water. And I, I'm in awe of those folks. Now, when you, let me ask you this. Growing up, were you... A class clown? Were you were you that guy that was always making people laugh? Yeah, I I was a little bit of that, but that was more um, off of the cuff or in the moment type of thing. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? That's kind of like uh, being witty versus being right, uh, right. You know, uh, a writer funny, just mm-hmm. being quick witted or or smart alecky or whatever you want to call it. That was the type of thing I did growing up you know, with my family or with my classmates or with my friends. Stand-up, there is some of that, but you have to be able to craft. You have to mm-hmm. be able to put words together. You have to be able to work on your delivery, your voice. Yeah. 
things that that t- took a lot more work than I was willing to give, especially at that point in my life. Um, you know, a lot of people have spent 10, 15 years honing their craft, doing this. And that, to me, I, when I got into it, I discovered what it was. I'm like, I don't want to dedicate that much of my life to this. And, and stand-up is an immediate feedback on how you're doing. I mean, you're, you're doing a performance, you know, a drama or whatever in a theater. You know, you don't know what the, if the audience likes it or not until the very end. You know, you're doing a movie, you're shooting it. You're not going to find out until later if anyone likes it. But when you're doing stand-up, you know, oh, you know how you're you doing know. immediately. As soon as you finish your <laughs> sentence or even before you finish your, your punchline, you know. You yeah. Know? And, and it, that's like, a tough pill to swallow if no one's laughing. Yeah. But I've, and, seen, uh, I've seen sets where no one laughed the entire set, but the, the comedian was up there still doing it. And that's oh, what you I have to. respect. I, yeah, I've seen some people go up on stage and just bomb like I can't even imagine like in in a, a dream a nightmare where you know you're dreaming and you're picturing the entire audience in their underwear and they're not laughing but you still have to go that happened I saw it happen in real life mm-hmm. and the guy just kept on going like a baller and then when he was done he didn't run out of there he didn't leave he went back to the bar got a drink and then watched other people's sets and that's when I'm like I can't do this there's no way I can do this because if that guy can bomb that hard and him be able to brush it off that quickly, that takes a lot more discipline than I than I had in that art form at that moment. So, yeah, you do. I mean, yeah, I mean, and you you know you hear comedians, you know, big names, you know, Chappelle, Rogan, Bill Burr. I mean, all these people bomb. You know, they they bomb, and 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 to them. Yeah, they don't like it, but it 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 definitely makes them have to go back to the drawing board. It's part it of makes them process. better. Exactly. Yeah, it's part of their process. I mean, to to be able to put a good 5 or 15 minutes together takes maybe a year, maybe more, I don't know, to put mm-hmm. a whole hour long special together. Oh yeah, it's That's a career. That's a career, man. <laughs> that's that's 5 10 years before before you get a call from uh HBO or Comedy Central or or whatever so it's like that's 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 how much i respect it no yeah i uh that's that's my next step man i uh i got my little my little notebook where i got my you know my jokes in there my bits and uh my 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 goal now is to get a good solid five minutes you know just a nice five minute set and uh, go to the open mic and just probably start here locally in houston and and then and the material is only a piece of the puzzle. You have to dis- discover what your persona is on stage. You have to discover uh, timing. Yeah. You got. You have to discover uh, your your voice. All all sorts of different things that you're learning. And so, I would say, don't even wait till you have five minutes. Just go up there. People go up there and they riff. You know. They'll yeah. See, you know they'll see something and they'll riff on that for five, ten, fifteen minutes. But they're working on something else in their art form while they're doing it. You know what I mean? There's always just getting up in front of an audience and and speaking out loud. That does something to you inside. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So I think what's what's helped me out is that I worked as a server for like, you know, three or four years. And I used to just – my whole thing was each table that I had was my audience. And I always wanted to see if I could make them laugh. 
you know, I even had like just like little little jokes that I would use all the time or little lines. And uh, obviously, because people are different, they tell say different things. You got to switch it up. And and I just really, really enjoyed that. Like, I, I don't I don't I'm not a shy person. I, I don't get nervous. I have no issues with speaking in front of a large audience. So because that's that's a big deal. Right. That's 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 what most people have a problem with is that stage fright. You can get you get past that and get comfortable, man. I mean that there's no telling what you can do. You know, obviously, yeah, you got to work on it. That's like you said. That's the hardest part is coming up with what to say and how to say it. Yeah. Well, the the thing you as the artist have to remember is that the audience is rooting for you. They want you to succeed. They want you sure. to make them laugh. So do it. You know, yeah. it's not like they're waiting for you to fail when you go up there. That's it's, true. It's not, you know, they, they're they on your side until you say something that's off-color, offensive. So that's the thing, too. I think the hard, the hard part of comedy is trying to, to stay clean, uh, especially in the first part of your career. Um, but that make, if you're able to do that, it becomes easier to get an audience. You know what I mean? Because your bookers can be like, it's easier to book people who are not blue, I think. And so if you're able to hone that part, then later on in your career, you can go as blue as you want because your audience already loves you. You know, you build up that goodwill. Going blue, is that, is that when you're like, going blue is, is not, is, is that being G-rated or not being G-rated? Not being G-rated. So like the R-rated stuff, like the offensive stuff, maybe the stuff that borders on, on racial tension or okay. or, or, or things like that. If you If you can play in front of, like my fa- my favorite um, comedian is Jim Gaffigan. Right. Uh, you can put him up in front of a seven year old, and he can do his material, and it'd be funny. You know, mm-hmm. you can put him up in front of anybody, and he'd be funny. And so, or his like a audience, Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld too. I mean, his, he's clean, but mm-hmm. because of his point of view, his his stuff is more observational. May it may not register. Right. It may not read with different generations as they did with uh, people around his age level. Whereas I think Jim Gaffigan. He transcends generational gap too. Um, but you also you also have to do what 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 you do exactly. You, you also know. have to do you have to develop your own voice, and that's mm-hmm. that's the hard part. You know, it's a it's a balancing act, especially at the beginning of a career. And that's why I'm saying is just um, just get up on stage, and you can work on a certain aspect. Maybe you, you work on zero jokes. Maybe you just go up and you talk about news headlines that day. And then mm-hmm. you talk about your unique viewpoint on them. That yeah. I'm, I'm going to get up there this year, man. This year for sure. Um, so let's let's just get the, you know, the elephant in the room out the way. COVID, right? Um, how has, I mean, for somebody like you in the entertainment industry, um, how has this really affected you man right at the beginning of the shutdown last year i was in a in a play i was in uh contracted for two more plays throughout the year we had to close our play that we were in the middle of our run we had um two other shows canceled and you know there hasn't been a a live successful live stage show in chicago for over a year now um so all that stuff shut down. Um, on the film side, 
everyone shut down too until they started realizing we've got a captive audience sitting at home. They need more content. They they binge watch, you know, four seasons of whatever it's been out there on Netflix or whatever it is. They need they're like dying for more, and so they were able to just put all their resources to building protocols that made it safer to to film at this time, but still not opened up 100%. Even the, the productions that do open up, occasionally you read in um, the trades that, you know, they had to shut down because one or two COVID cases were detected or something like that. So it's not, we're not back to normal, even on, even with all the precautions that were taken, even with all the vaccinated people out there, it's just going to take more time. Um, the productions that are going, they're way safer about it. Uh, they keep on set. They only keep people who are essential to, to shooting. Um, and even in between, I, w- I shot a pilot um, in November in Chicago. And even between scenes, when they said cut, we put our masks right back on. We put our masks and we put our, our face covering, our shields right back on. And we went into our um, actor chairs and there was like inside um, individual tents and oh, so, wow. yeah, they were not kidding. There was like there was hand sanitizer everywhere, um, and then we tested leading up to that shoot. I tested every other day for for a week and a half. So I think I went four or five different COVID tests leading up to to even being on set. So that's how careful they're trying to be because there's so much money involved mm-hmm. on on failing. You know, if you have to shut down production for for one day. That's hundreds of thousands of dollars in some in some productions. So, so that's why they're willing to to invest because there's money to make, be made on the other side if you have something that's um, printable, you know, on the other side. But but you mentioned the the shift the the pivot that some people are doing with with the TikToks and social media. So have have you done started to move towards that as well? I have not. I have not because that, that's not the type of artist I am. I'm more of a, you know, and that's why I love theater because I'll, all I have to do is focus on the person in front of me or the, the people in front of me as far as my scene partners and the right. audience I'm not really concerned about. Even though you can feel the energy that's coming off from those human beings that are occupying that space. But for me, it's all about... Um, that connection with my scene partner when I'm acting. Whereas my, some of my other friends, they want to connect with the audience directly. And the most direct way they can do it is via Twitter or TikTok or Instagram. And they're putting, they're writing characters, doing um, little, they're writing, they're writing um, quips, jokes on, on Twitter that are going viral. They're doing characters on Instagram. They're, they're building followings of like millions of people. And that's all they need. They, they're they so good at generating content that these types of audiences are craving. For me, I'm like, I'm turning more inward. I'm, de- I'm continuing to work on my, my process internally. So I'm like doing other things. Right now, I spent the last year learning piano and guitar. And that's taught me something about acting too. And it's... Mm. And it's been incredible. The way I'm learning uh, music now, it's like measure by measure. I work on one measure. I'll practice that measure for one whole day, even if I can't get it right. And so now when I go back to acting, 
I'll think about individual lines or individual movements or, or things like that, even with more rigor. I, I can't wait to get back on stage or on a set and, and kind of rededicate myself to that art. Um, and that's the thing, too. Once you're an actor, we mentioned this before, you're always going to be an actor because you look at the world through a different lens now. You know, mm. you. I think you have more empathy for people because you kind of can imagine their circumstance or what their life is about now because you're just more curious about it. Right. You know, and once you can put yourself in, in that person's shoes, um, all of a sudden you love that person or you care more about that person than whereas before you have all these barriers. You know, you don't want to get to know that person. All you see is kind of surface level stuff. You don't know, you don't think about their lives or what happened to them that day or or their family situation that led them to be like that in that moment. Now you think about all the other different variables in their lives. And so I think that makes you more empathetic when you're an actor. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so now you are in La La Land. You're yeah. in Los Angeles. What what prompted you to make that move? Well, we've been uh, my partner and I. She is from this area, and we've been talking about coming out here for many years now. It's just we've been so busy in Chicago. Um, but now I think the time is right. I have a, an agent and a manager out here now. Um, I'm starting to audition out here, in addition to what I'm doing in Chicago. So it's it's good. Before, I wasn't able to justify making that move and having to start from scratch, which is kind of what you have to do when you move to mm -hmm. a new market, especially Los Angeles, which huge, huge market. You got to learn so many different things, but um, the nature of the pandemic has made it so you can take a little bit more time easing yourself into it and not have to worry about uh, gaining traction immediately because no one right. has traction yeah right now so uh it's it's good good timing in that sense so we mentioned goals earlier what are uh some of your short-term goals or even long-term goals coming up for uh, the next couple of years uh so short term i just i just want to act again um if that doesn't happen i'm i'm, I'm still going to be okay because i'm learning music and filling my, my heart and my brain that way. Uh, longer term, I probably, I, I would love to start producing more. I've produced smaller projects, sketches, uh, short films and stuff in Chicago for, for the, the screen formats. Uh, but I would like to be able to leverage both my, my business finance self with the entertainment self. And I think producing um, is a natural, natural next step in that world. Is is that also including directing or just producing? Yeah, so I've directed uh, in the past, and I love that. But I think the finance side, the business, that that lends itself even more to producing. I think. Yeah, and you have a degree in it, so I mean, <laughs> I've, got, I've actually got three degrees. Three degrees. There you go. Yeah. Well, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're you're you know you. It, it's crazy how. You, you know, you've taken this, this pandemic, you've taken um, this situation that obviously was not good for your career, but you said, you know what, 
maybe maybe it can be now now it's an opportunity for me to move to LA which we all know you know is 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 for America that's like the film capital you know so this this could end up you know leading to a chain reaction now you got you know your your agent and manager in LA you're doing auditions over here i mean who knows man i could i could see you on a new show on netflix or a new movie you know this this could have be a complete game changer for you yeah, like well, i think one of the first things we said today was like everyone's path is different and i'm just mm-hmm. happy to be on my path right now you know what i mean there's a million yeah. different paths in this industry and i'm just on mine so Exactly, man. Well, I mean, I'm glad you took the time and uh, come on my podcast. I know, I know you got things to do. You know, uh, now I mean, especially you know, you're out in LA. I'm sure you probably got to work on the guitar, work on what was the other instrument? The piano, you said, or piano? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun, and I hope I hope your listeners find something, even one thing I said interesting or something that we discussed. As something helpful for their lives yeah and also um is there anything you want to promote anything you people should go see uh uh just be cool be cool <laughs> yeah be cool uh don't be racist and if you see someone being racist stand up for that person so yeah punch them in the face yeah <laughs> <laughs> there you go. all right ladies and gentlemen y'all have a good one